the biggest part of a podcast is always recording it. Otherwise, it's just a conversation, which is still worth something, but can't make you money. Nor nor can our podcast at this stage, but, you know, true big. Speaking of making money, I reached out to SVB, Silicon Valley Bank, for sponsorship. They were pretty excited, but then I didn't hear back from them. I wonder what happened. Yeah, I don't know. I'll follow That's Welcome to Fascinators. It's a podcast dedicated to the weird and wonderful people, concepts, and stories that send us down the rabbit hole each week. Myself, Evan Atkinson, and my dad. Ken Atkinson. All right. Return to form. Talks about the things <laughs> that fascinate us. It's, yeah, it's, it's the things that tickle our brain each week. I'm curious if there's something that's been on your mind recently. You gave me a cryptic phone call earlier today. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I love, I love it. I love it. So here's something that I learned the other day. So we know our friend Harriet Tubman. We mentioned her in another previous our podcast. Best friend. We are yes. excited for her to be on the $20 bill. She was alive when Thomas Jefferson was alive. Ooh. She was okay. also alive when Ronald Reagan was alive. No, are you doing, are you doing one of these? Oh, no. Oh, these. So, okay. So, so, I'm very excited. But that's amazing to me. That's like 200 years of coverage. And so. It feels like it. On the other extreme is going biblical in the Pentateuch, which, you know, is the first five books of the Bible. But, you know, those sections where they go, Enoch begat, Methuselah begat, Mech begat, Noah. Those are actual blood. So much begetting, begatting. Yeah, yeah it's been begatted to death. Mm-hmm. But so those are bloodlines. And the Harriet Tubman reference is just like, not coincidence, but they were just, they just overlap. They didn't have a connection. They just happened to be alive during the same time. So can I, can I, can I yes. pause you real quick to talk about how I think they kind of cheated when they wrote the Bible a little bit. And like, that's as someone who is currently trying to write a book, like I can't just make a chapter be like, and then. Dave had Susan, had Ezekiel, had blah, blah, blah. We're just going to skip 100 years. Anyways, we're over here with Isaac, and he hates his kid, or at least God told him to. And it's, or maybe it's the other way around, Isaac's dad. But, like, it's so, like, that. that's that's lazy writing. I'm sorry, Lord, but you fuck. That lightning that's kinda, can that's come kinda, through this hard connection and fry me when it fries you. Uh, it's It's like when the first... 30 seconds of Avatar 2 skip past some of the most insane, like bonkers you could fit in the five movies in what they zoom through in 30 seconds. Also, minor spoilers for Avatar 2 includes Immaculate Conception. So much, much like the Bible, I guess. James Gamblin, our horrible friend friend from episode one, is is just zooming through. You got to get to the plot. Right. Well, so... I don't know if this agrees with you or counters that, but there's many films and there's like, I'm thinking of a TV show like, oh shoot, what's that? Outlander. I know Claire watches Outlander. I don't know if you have. 
but I, uh, I've, I've seen bits and pieces. Okay. So, but no surprise, no spoilers. It's time travel. Yeah. And so, but they don't spend one or two episodes talking about the physics of time travel. You just kind of yeah. accept it. It's there. Because there's some books. Well, shoot, Stephen King, the 11, 22, 63, oh, which is the yeah, yeah, yeah. only Stephen King book that I've actually read. But same, time okay. travel. But he doesn't get bogged down with, hey, here's how it works. Here's the physics behind it. You just kind of accept it. And so sometimes the Bible just does that. We're just like going to trace the important part of the begats is the lineage that you can. He he is God. He is King. He is Stephen. He is <laughs> There's something there. Right. So I'm going to start my Stephen King of the Jews. <laughs> oh my gosh. I am going to start my 500 year journey with okay. Socrates. Or okay. if you were born before 1980 or your big cultural reference movie person, you may know him as Socrates. From Bill and Ted. <laughs> yeah. So of course you know yeah, that. All right. So Socrates, our boy, was born in 470 BCE. So he was notoriously unattractive, but he had a large, sexy brain. And so he had no trouble Mm. with the ladies. So we know he was a big philosopher, as you know, but he was a hoplite. He was a hoplite in the Peloponnesian Wars, which is amazing to me. So this guy would strap on and go out to to work. But we know him from the Socratic method. So, which is a style of question and answer where you keep drilling down, drilling down. Attorneys mm-hmm. use it a lot. Professors use it a lot. But his famous sayings are, I know that I know nothing and... A good way to live life. Yes, absolutely. And the unexamined life is not worth living. Mm. Super deep guy. But yeah. unfortunately, he would critique the government a lot and say, hey, kind of, what are we doing? So after the Athenians lost the Peloponnesian War, all these politicians are like, wait, this guy was criticizing us. Let's go ahead and put him to death for criticizing the government because he came out on the wrong side of it. And uh, anyway, he was punished by death. He could choose exile, which was very common, but he's like, hey, I'm not running for anything. And so he chose death. And he took Hemlock. And so that's how he, he passed in 399 BCE. But his star pupil, you may know. Plato. Plato, of course. Okay. So his real name, Platon, which was not an uncommon name in Greek. They call him Plato. He was named by his wrestling coach. I'm sure there's a lot of people who have been named Plato by their wrestling coach. because <laughs> Well, because well, in, in Greek, Plato means fraud. And so he was very broad shoulder. <laughs> okay. So super prolific writer. In fact, going back to Socrates, Socrates, we have no writings of Socrates. He just didn't write. And so what we know, Socrates is from primarily from Plato and some other historians, but Plato's famous for writing The Republic, which you might've heard of, which is mm-hmm. basically balancing of reason, desire, emotion. And it was fictional. But he said he proposed or a proponent of governing a government by a philosopher. His other Mm -hmm. thing that he put out there, he was going to outlaw flutes. 
It's so That's great. So good. Take a stance, yeah. whatever stance it is. So take good. one. Here's how I, I want my government to run. And by the way, no flutes. Also, no flutes. Yeah. That is, I mean, honestly, when people are like arguing legislature through Congress, very often it feels like they're like, this is this is a sweeping bill for tax reform. Also, secretly, no flutes right. allowed. Right. Lizzo stands up uh, in the my, background and says, I object. Filibuster from Lizzo <laughs> on the flute. Yeah, Jethro Tolkien and Anderson comes up. What? I protest. You're the only person who knows the name of the lead singer from Jethro Tolkien. Ian, my man. I really thought his name would be Jethro. You would think? I'm, I'm a big fan of Plato's Allegory of the Cave. That's my that's my Plato number one hit. Lay it on me, do tell. Allegory of the Cave re- really messes me up. This was, I think we talked about this in like my theory of knowledge class in high school, but basically Plato creates this idea of two prisons. It's also like all this old Greek philosophy is so like flowery and there's such like paints such a picture really it's just like people who are chained to a wall can only see their shadows and they can't see each other it's dark they can only see their shadows so their entire reality is 2d they're only seeing shadows and whatever is put in front of the light that's behind them they can't see becomes a reality it's only expressed through its shadow and then one day one of the prisoners breaks out and realizes that Everything they had known as reality is just a shadow of its actual self. And oh, then they leave what? the cave and see all this other stuff. But it's very much like, have you heard of like the Flatland parable, certain things? Like it's it, it's no. the idea of, <laughs> I, I could get into 2D, 2D versus oh 3D. Hey, um, do you want to take over my portion of the podcast for the, this is more no, interesting no. than what I have. This is so good. Maybe, maybe I can, I can save this for another Another fascinator, but it really kind of challenges you to think about like, we only see the world in 3D. So there, there is an option for a fourth dimensional being or something to be out there that we can only see slices of. Yeah. Like 2, 2D is just a slice of a 3D object. It's crazy. I don't know. That is, so sorry. Well, no, I'll, that's good. Well, mm-hmm. Einstein actually proposed the fourth dimension, which is time. Mm-hmm. So, but no, I love, oh my gosh, that's so good. E, I love it. So Plato, platonic love, heard of that? Yeah. That comes from Plato. Never. Only romantic for this guy. <laughs> so, yeah, I love it. So Plato's like, here's his quote, love is a serious mental disease. Which I is, agree with that. It's so true. I mean, it sounds like sketchy or is he being shady to love? But no, <laughs> he, he understands the pure power in love. And platonic love, he was saying, is it's that pure, again, powerful, but non-sexual love. So that, of course, is platonic love. His, one of his, the other famous quote is, people are like dirt. They can either nourish you and help you grow, or they can stunt your growth and make you wilt and die. Damn. Isn't that brilliant? A little clumsy. I wouldn't mind him being a little more of a wordsmith, but that's so good. (laughs) So good. So his Plato star student was... David. Aristotle. Oh, shoot. I was one off. So, yeah. So Aristotle. So now I should have given years, but we're up to, he, Aristotle was born in 384 BCE. And so he studied okay. at Plato's Academy. Again, Plato, big writer. He started a university, an academy. And so all these guys, I should say, are all based, I mean, we think of philosophy as more the mind and, you know, that type of thing. And and yeah. they were much more 
physics oriented as well. I mean, they were complete. Mm. I mean, talk about Renaissance people. Yeah. So like, uh, oh shoot, Aristotle's one of his main things. He did, he was rooted in logic and physics. And so he would do those things like you see sometimes on tests or, but all men are mortal. All Greeks are men. So all Greeks are mortal. That kind of reasoning. Okay. Yeah. So he would, but he didn't, he didn't, he wasn't popular with the ladies, I'm guessing. All Greeks are men. Prove me wrong. Right. Oh, that's fair. That's super fair. <laughs> and so his cute little quote that I'll hold on to that it's, it's, it is during our darkest moments that we must focus to see the light. Mm-hmm. That's one of those great affirmations you wake up in the morning. So yeah, get this. It sounds like a oh. line from a Batman movie, but <laughs> I think it's great. <laughs> right. So. Plato dies, which was his Aristotle's mentor. Plato dies. Say we're in 347 BCE. So Philip the Skin of Macedon calls up Aristotle and says, Hey, come tutor my son. And so he does. He goes up to Macedon from Athens area and tutors Philip's son, who is Alexander the Great. Oh, almost. He was just Alexander at that point. He was point. just Alexander oh, the adolescent. He's Alex. That's Lexi. Fun. Yeah. And he kept training, a little bit of training. He became Alexander the Rapper. And then. Okay. He, oh, God, my God. He went on to Alexander the Great. Of course, you knew that. So smart. So it's moments like these when the podcast truly reminds me that you are a, a dad. You are my dad. No offense. When you taken, make a chance to rapper. You. Oh, it's terrific. So 336. So we're like, Aristotle's been up there for five, 10 years teaching Alexander. Well, Philip is assassinated and scholars are like, ah, was it Alexander's supporters or Alexander's mother who was kind of shunned by Philip? Regardless, Alexander's 20 years old. This cat comes in with Aristotle's teaching and philosophizing and just consolidates power super quick. And then- He embarks on a revenge tour because during this time, during this upheaval, you know, people are starting to encroach in different areas. And of course, the history of Macedonia and Greece, they think back to the Persians, et cetera. So the revenge tour of Alexander. So he goes out, he conquers all the folks that have wronged him and even more people who didn't. So he's like, goes after Greece, conquers, Egypt, conquers. There's probably like... A Nicholas from Bandcamp has him executed. <laughs> Babylon, Persia, he starts to go into India. So he has the largest land, land empire the world had seen up until that time. But Alexander dies just like 12 years into his reign from, hmm. it might be alcohol poisoning, could be malaria. People are torn on that. Interesting. So he passes away and then there's a big power struggle for about 30 years between three or four four of his generals, but maybe three of them come out and establish kingdoms to divide that huge land area. So Antigonus gets Greece and Turkey. Okay. Seleucus gets Persia and starts the Seleucid Empire. And Ptolemy, okay. Ptolemy gets Egypt. So these are his big three generals that consolidate control. So Alexander is divided into his conquerors. Conquered territory is divided into three territories, three empires. So I'll focus on Ptolemy, who's in Egypt. The name I recognize the most. Yes. Okay, good. Yeah. So during this time, so Alexander dies in 
modern day Iraq, Afghanistan, that area. And so they're, they're, okay. they're going to take his body back to Macedonia and bury it. So again, this is that time where people are grappling for control. So Ptolemy goes up and hijacks the body and steals it and takes it down to Egypt. He's like, oh, this is my territory. I'm taking the body. And it stays in a tomb in Alexandria for 500 years. And so- Wait, what? Yeah. So this is still, we're like at 300. I mean, Alexander just passed away. Ptolemy has just taken over. He controls Egypt. This is 300 BCE. He steals the body. It stays in a tomb, a magnificent tomb in Alexandria for 500 years. In fact, 300 years later, Caesar comes and visits it. Antony, Mark Antony, visits it. Yeah, J-Lo's (laughs) ex-husband. Crazy good dancer. And the Roman emperors up until 216 CE, or the current area, visit the tomb. And it's all documented. It's there. It's since been lost during that time. So we don't know where the body is, but it was there for 500 years. Side note, Caesar is where we get czar, the term czar. And Caesar salad. Oh, false. We had another. That's true. You actually did say the opposite. De Mexico. Yeah. So czar and Kaiser. Kaiser Wilhelm, the German. So that's all derivation of Caesar. But uh, so the Ptolemaic dynasty lasted for 300 years. The last Ptolemaic ruler of Egypt was Cleopatra. Cleopatra. Oh my God, you're so oh good. Oh my God. You're so good. Yeah, she was the last one. So we're up to like 70 BCE. We're around the turn of that millennia. And so she was very Hellenistic. She was Greek, Cleopatra. In fact, remember way back to Philip II? His second wife was named Cleopatra. Oh. In 350 BCE. 300 years okay. earlier. His, so Cleopatra is a Greek name. And, Interesting. And so Cleopatra, the one that we all know, her first language was Greek, but she was the first pharaoh to learn Egyptian in 300 years. So she was kind of like of the people for the people yeah. kind of thing. And she was actually Cleopatra VII. If you can okay. believe. So th- throughout history, all those Ptolemies, you know, you had males, females. She was the seventh Cleopatra. So, huh. a recap of our journey. So, we went from Socrates <laughs> to Plato to Aristotle to Philip II, Alexander, his general Ptolemy, and then to Cleopatra, covers 500 years. And then my last little nugget is that Cleopatra is more of a contemporary to you and I than she is to the pyramids. That's wild. Yeah. Isn't that something? That cr- Yeah. So it's oh. Cleopatra 2,000 years ago, and the pyramids were 2,500 years before Cleopatra. So that's we, we think ben- she's like the prototypical Egyptian. Yeah. Yeah. The pyramids. Something I, first of all, I have to say that's fascinating. Can I put a hat on a hat real quick? I did a a round of trivia. I host trivia for my company from time to time. Okay. And I did a round that was things that exist at the same time, kind of like the Harriet Tubman opening. And that's kind of where I thought you were going with this. But things like Nintendo, the video game company we're all very familiar with, was founded 
at the same time that Jack the Ripper was active in London. There were still woolly mammoths on the planet when the pyramids were being built. Oh, yeah. That makes sense, uh, but that's alarming. And the and this one I still kind of don't fully understand. The fax machine was patented while the Oregon Trail conquest was happening. Fax machine. No, wait, no. But then I, I think about telegraphs and it kind of makes a little bit more sense. Yeah. But it's still kind of, I wonder if I could pull that that thing up. But yeah, there's so much. I think like there's one empire that lasted between the Byzantine or the Roman Empire and World War One, and it was the Ottomans. Sure, 1865 to World War One when they took down the Byzantine. 1465. Where'd you pull that from? I thought just was so the Roman Empire. I could so founded. No, I could go through it, but uh, I know I believe. Yeah, I believe. Yeah, it. but they switched Constantine. Moved it in the 300s. Also, the guy who, the emperor who allowed Christianity, but he saw the weakness in Rome and the West and the Germanic tribes coming in. And sometimes you just have to punt. And so he's like, I'm moving my, it's still going to be the Roman Empire. In fact, they always call themselves Romans when they're in the Byzantine Empire. Mm -hmm. We call them Byzantines, but they were Romans. They called themselves Romans and they spoke Latin. And uh, yeah, he moved it in 300 E, 300. And uh, as the capital, and so that's when you had the split, and then Western Rome rolled out of Rome, was in late 400s. They finally got the Goths and the Visigoths and uh, the Vandals Mm. and all those guys came through and wiped it out. But yeah, so the Byzantine Empire was 300 to 1400, and uh, mid-1400, here come the Turks. See, I knew you had that up your sleeve somewhere. Who no. I... That's crazy. Hey, I have something that fascinated me this week. Yeah, wait, you're, so you're laying down these teasers like I thought you were going to go off on the pyramids. I thought you were, no. oh my gosh. No, it, I'm, I'm amazed already. What's, what's going on in that large noggin of yours? <laughs> so I, I think I, I, I describe my kind of knowledge base commonly as I have trivia knowledge. Like I don't, I certainly there are some topics that I know a lot about, but mostly I know a little bit about a lot of things. And so I love going to pub trivia. I love just general trivia. Yeah. And I started to dig into trivia as a concept a little bit more this week, what fascinated me. And it, it led me to a specific topic. When you when you think about world records, <laughs> what name pops up? Oh, usually athletes. Or what publication, oh, I should say. the Guinness Book. book. Guinness Book of, the Guinness book yeah, of World Records. Yeah. So this, I, I started to get into like Guinness World Records. It, it is, it's kind of similar to the, like the Michelin thing that I also teased as a mini fascinator, oh I think last episode that or was, two ago. That was so interesting. I have just on that little side tangent that you enlightened me on, I've had conversations about that. That's, that is fascinating. Really? Oh, oh my gosh, good. it's so good. So it's Occam's razor. The simplest explanation is the truth. Guinness Book of World Records starts with Guinness. It is the beer company. Oh my. Started the Book of World Records. There's, it's not like, oh, Michelin tires certainly isn't related to the Michelin guy. Same thing. Same with Guinness Book of World Records and Guinness beer. I, I will, I will close that gap in a second. But to kind of start with 
the idea of world records really begins with the modern Olympics, which you talked about that started in 1896. People got obsessed with superlatives or being the best or the most or setting a, a global record yeah. for a certain thing. And the, the one that interest, interested me the most and that I actually read a book <laughs> about, that's right. Evan Atkinson read a book, one of the seven books I've read, and I'm holding it in my hand right now, which would be a lot better of a payoff of here on video. But it is A Little Devil in America by Hanif Abdurraqib, which is Notes in Praise of Black Performance. His like first chapter is about dance marathons. Yes. Are you have you ever participated in a dance marathon? Do you know anything about these? No, no I, I have never participated. The only thing I see him like you, like pop culture, I, I'll see him in movies or throwback movies that come back from, you know, the olden times, meaning I yeah. think they were like in the, in the 1900s, I thought they, you know, but like forties and fifties and sixties that, I mean, that's all yeah. I know, just like a postcard of knowledge. I remember my college did one as a fundraiser nowadays. Like if they show up, they're just fundraisers for like, you know, dance as long as you can raise money for charity. Yeah. They they kind of sprung up in the U.S. at least in the 20s. There's a whole other, like, people were obsessed with breaking records. One guy tried to walk from one side of the U.S. to the other without shoes on. Like, and people were just going barrel. Backwards. Uh, he did. No, he did. He did it across the U.S. and then did it backwards <laughs> the next year to try to be like, well, no one's ever done that. Oh, my gosh. And my, sh my feet are leather right. now. So it, it was this obsession with breaking records. This is in the 1920s. Everything is exploding. Everything is maximal and, you know, massive. And so dance thons crop up and people are like, let's, let's see how long we can dance. And the first record was broken in like 1927, I think, or 1928 by someone named Alma Cunningham. She danced for 27 hours straight. Oh, my um, gosh. Ooh, exhausting. No, I can't. Is that what led to the stock market crash in 29? It is It, it is not, but the stock market crash affected dance marathons. <laughs> of course it did. In, in a very, it, at first it was just like, every everything is free. Let's dance, you know, let's go crazy. Yeah. Stock market crashes, the Great Depression happens. Dance marathons would offer a prize, usually food for a year or a cash subscription. So instead of people trying to test their might, it became poor people trying to do anything uh -huh. to get a price. It's really tragic. Yeah. And so dance marathons became a profession for some people or a like a livelihood because you, you heard like it's easy as a cakewalk. Yeah. Yes. Like the original cakewalks were things like that. People trying to get cake from dance marathons or walking for extended periods of time. And so it started to get really crazy and kind of because of the fight or flight of it, the survival mentality, Alma's record of 27 hours was broken three times in the next week oh, no. by people. So people were dancing for hundreds of hours. People would show up to a dance marathon in December and be like, I'm leaving in June. And whatever constituted dancing was just kind of movement, constant movement somehow. People would sleep. And their partner would slow dance with them so they could sleep. And it was, them up, I guess, huh? Yeah, Weekend at Bernie style, <laughs> like really harrowing yeah. stuff. So that's that's the initial obsession that's with, with setting records. Terrifying. Sadly insane. It started kind of fun. Yeah. yeah. So 
as, as promised, cutting back to Guinness, the Guinness relation. It starts with this guy, Sir Huge Beaver. <laughs> oh, Hugh. Hugh Beaver, excuse me. He is the managing director of Guinness Brewery. He's an engineer, industrialist, but he's in charge of, of Guinness at the time. And he, as as all good British people do in the 50s, just like James Bond, went on a hunting expedition with his friends. Okay. And they they were hunting and Beaver was like, hey, what do you think the fastest game bird is? And everybody was stumped. They were like, I don't know. There's I, we we haven't really thought about it. I don't know where to look this information up. It's 1954. Yeah. Well, yeah, we have no idea. And he goes, okay, well, I'm now going to write a book <gasps> that contains all of the world's superlatives yeah. in service of that one shit. Fun fact, the Guinness Book of World Records never included what the fastest game bird was. <laughs> so he, he publishes the first one in 1954. It contains a thousand, like a over a thousand entries of world records. None of them are the fastest game bird. That's what happened. Why aren't they listening to Mr. Beaver? I know he, he's in charge. He, he got the help of these sports journalists, Norris and Ross McWhorter, who are twins, which I think is just charming. And so they, they start the book. I did look it up. The fastest game bird is the red-breasted merganser, oh, uh, which goes 81 miles oh. per hour, which is crazy. It's not the fastest bird. Yeah. Do you know the fastest bird? Peregrine falcon? It is. Do you know where it's in its highest concentration? Oh, no. Oh. New York City. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. They dive bomb pigeons off of the skyscrapers. It is pretty righteous. That's amazing. Do you know my story about peregrine falcons? No. That was, that was when I, this might not be for air, but I learned about sex and death in the same moment when I was a child. It was, I, I went on like a, a camp in the summer, I think it was with Cass yeah. maybe. And we were like hiking through a canyon and this tour guide leader was like, look, 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 it's two peregrine falcons. They're like, live, they live in this canyon and they started spiraling together. And we were like, what are they, hey, what are they doing? And the teacher was like, ask your parents about what sex is when you go home, which is like nice, way to dodge nice. that question. And then one of them didn't pull up in time. Pull out or pull up? And so one, <laughs> and so one of the birds, and I don't know which, just smacked the floor. Uh -huh. And it was, I was immediately confronted with like, hey, that's so cool. And the tour, you could tell the teacher was like, so upset because it, it they drew a bunch of like six and seven year olds attention yeah, right. to something and then it immediately had sex and died which is like a nightmare scenario that's what when you came home you asked us about sex and i said you know until you get married if you have sex you die you die it's yeah. true just just like a praying mantis it is it's terrifying yeah never did it so the Guinness Book of World Records is founded in 1954. They've since expanded. They have offices in London, New York, Beijing, Tokyo, Dubai, and they have 69 different adjudicators, which are like the record checkers yeah. stationed around the world in 15 different countries. So I, I was mostly curious about, because I've, I've seen a lot of people, I, usually on YouTube and things, the Raleigh Beer Garden, which is near our home in Raleigh broke a world record when my friends Tala and Emily were there. It was the most North Carolina draft beers on tap and they broke the record while they were there. So I've, like a Guinness world record is a thing that's cut just around, what? you know, everyone's. So I'll go a step further. It wasn't just North Carolina beers on tap. 
the most beers on tap in the world. I wonder if they hired out an adjudicator to come officially stamp that. I feel like they did. I looked into the the application process to break a Guinness World Record. Oh, wow. You have to apply on the website. You can optionally invite one of these adjudicators to come observe your attempt. But the thing I was very curious about was they have an account team. They have like a PR team that if you don't know what record to break and you're a company, you like sign up and you email the Guinness Book of World Records and they, and this is a quote from their website, they integrate your key messages and brand values to deliver a record campaign that engages your audience with authenticity, leaving a positive and lasting impact. That way to take the realness out of it, Guinness. <laughs> oh my gosh. So like if you're Nike, you could send them a message and say, what's the fewest number of children under four we can hire to make a shoe? It's one. Oh it's, no. Uh, that's heartbreaking, but it's true. So I've always uh, wondered about those, like, so, I mean, just take thinking out loud, like juggling. And so like yeah. a person who can juggle the most bananas, the most apples, the most plums, you know, I mean, if you like the most juggling of a specific object, I mean, if you just do juggling of, a, you know, the most hammers, the most nails, the most books, the most, you know, you can just have a juggling chapter that's yeah. 5,000 pages. I mean, think of every object in the world. That's that, where that's I don't kinda, know. That's the thing I was curious I about. And I, I don't necessarily have an answer for you. Right. Because, for instance, like this is this is holding the record right now for the longest father and son history comedy podcast, you know, to reach eight episodes. Like right. it's, you can be. With one person in North Carolina and one in New York. Yeah. De- <laughs> depending on how specific yeah. you are, everything you do is a record. Yeah. You know, like I, when the clock struck midnight this year on New Year's Eve, I yelled the word meatball as loud as I could <laughs> to be the first person to say meatball in 2023. <laughs> and that's a world record. Yes, my boy. You know, I got to make you proud. But that's, I think that's, that's a little phony. I saw it recently. Pizza Hut did a campaign where they made the world's largest pizza. Oh, yes, I saw that. Uh, and I wonder if they contacted Guinness for that right. campaign. Right. I, I am, am not entirely sure. I know it's a Guinness world record now. So, so that was, that was a little phony to me, a little interesting. But the, I, I also saw on their website, Guinness has a hall of fame that they've maintained. I think it started in 2020 to induct important record holders, people, records that I think are, are really big or um, universally, you know, something. And so I'm going to, I'm going to list four of the people in the Guinness hall of fame and you tell me which one you think is weird that it's included. So we have, first of all, Malala Yousafzai, the youngest Nobel prize winner, Peggy Whitson, the most spacewalks performed by a female astronaut. Yes. Felix Baumgartner, the first person to break the sound barrier while in free fall. Oh, yes. That Red Bull guy. Yeah. And Otto, (laughs) the longest human skateboard tunnel skated through by a bulldog. (laughs) Which one of these stands out to you? One of these things doesn't belong. It's the bulldog. Yeah. Yeah. It's Otto the bulldog, which, by the way, I have met this dog. (laughs) You have? Uh, I was in Washington what? Square Park and he, a bulldog came skateboarding around the corner and hung out with me. No. It's one of those, one of those magical New York City moments. That's amazing. But, so Otto uh, the bulldog, like that should be on TBS, like pets do the craziest things 
would crazy yeah. animals <laughs> next on TBS next to Malala. <laughs> oh, she was amazing. Brave. Truly great. So here's some obscure records and I'll go through those quickly that kind of, they make me want to break a record myself. It's kind of like that thing of like, you know, if you get specific enough, anything's a world yeah. record. The largest gathering of people with the same name. Is it I, I don't remember the year. It is not Bob. It is actually Hirokazu Tanaka. <laughs> that was my yeah. second guess. Which, close. Yeah. Bob Hirozaka Tanaka. It was, beef. oh gosh, no, 178 people named Hirokazu Tanaka got together in Shibuya in Tokyo, wow. which beat the previous record, which was set in 2005 by 164 Martha Stewarts. Oh, so first and last name. Okay. Yes. Yeah, because there's like a Bob convention somewhere. That's why I said that. Oh, really? Yeah. And it's like thousands okay. of bobs show up. But yeah, for some, that's amazing. In 2007, this person, Thomas Blackthorne, got a world record for sword swallowing the heaviest object, which was the end of a DeWalt jackhammer <gasps> that weighed in at 83 pounds, 12 ounces. And they held the full weight of the hammer for over three seconds. The ham jackhammer was switched on. <gasps> no. Do we know? Is he so, okay? I don't know. This was 2007. Anything could have happened. It didn't follow up. <laughs> Do you uh, have to live through this, the event, in order to qualify as a record? That's kind of, that's interesting. That's kind of like the theory of everything's edible once. <laughs> right. Like you, you could, you could try anything. Most lawsuits filed coming from professional asshole Jonathan Lee Richards has sued over 4,000 companies and individuals, holds this record. Uh, when he found out that he got a Guinness record, he sued Guinness. No, that is so irritating. I... So anti-frivolous <laughs> lawsuits. Oh my gosh. But don't, but don't, then, and block my name. I don't want to get sued by this cat. Yeah, sorry. Me, Evan Atkinson, and my dad redacted <laughs> going to, this, this is the last one. The record for the most records is from someone named Ashrita Furman. He used to hold 550 Guinness World Records, but currently holds 200 because 350 of them have been broken Whoa. by other people. Yeah. And it's, it started by completing the most jumping jacks jumped in succession, which was 27,000. Oh so like, I mean, that's, that's genuine no, athleticism that's legit, though. Like he's yeah, not that's legit. breaking specific things. But do you know, there's, there's a few records that fit this category, but I, I will close on this. There's one record that will never be broken in the Guinness Book of World Records. And I talked to you about this at some point in the past as a potential when we were talking about the concept for this podcast, but is it is the world record that will never be broken. It is the largest simultaneous balloon launch. Oh, yeah. Do you remember this at no. all? I'm sorry. No. So this this was broken for the, for the last time, for the first time in 1985 by Disneyland. They had their some number anniversary and launched a ton of balloons. And then the year later, the city of Cleveland was like, all right. Yes. We are the laughing stock of the country. Everyone is really hating on Cleveland. We have to put our city on the map again. How are we going to do that? Balloons. Right. I remember it's all coming back to A me. A whole now. lot yes. of balloons. Yes, I love it. Keep going. Keep going. This was the horror story of Balloon Fest 86, <laughs> the, the abridged version is as as a fundraiser these and i can scroll down to my notes where i wrote all the notes of balloon fest 86 <laughs> they did a fundraiser where you could pay i think it was like two dollars to get two balloons yeah 
So a dollar a balloon, I guess that seems unfair to, to like it like that. But a dollar a balloon, people would donate money to the United Way of Cleveland. And they had this big like square block sized net in the center of the city. And they were collecting balloons. I watched like news conferences from this day and people were like, had band-aids on their fingers. Their fingers were bleeding from tying up these balloons. These kids were crying, yes. like tying up balloons, kind of like, you know, people making Nike shoes. <laughs> and it like it, they were doing it. Initially, it was projected to rain that day, which was obviously very nerve wracking. If you're going to do a balloon launch, thankfully, it didn't rain, but it was coming in later in the day. So they were aiming for two million balloons. They ended up launching 1.5 million, which that's a crazy far, number. I mean, far and crazy away. Crazy number. Yeah, like beat beat the record so much, but they they released them. But there's still a high pressure <laughs> system yeah. in the area, so all the balloons went up, and it's this. I mean, if you look up photos or videos from the day, it looks apocalyptic. Like the built the buildings are swallowed by balloons, yeah. and they all go up, and then they all just start coming down. Oh my gosh! Uh, panic, still inflated, which. The initial plan was they all pop in atmosphere, and I guess it's just raining deflated balloons, which still kind of like sucks. Latex back but it was then, the 80s. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, that's still not great, right. but they all come down still inflated, so they're going across roadways. Cars are crashing. They scare some horses. The horses break their legs, and these are like prize racehorses. But more tragically, they seriously, they they cover the surface of Lake Erie. And two boaters go missing that day and they're unable to be found because of all of the balloons. They can't find the life jackets in this sea of balloons. Oh, the helicopter gosh. search and rescue can't fly because all the balloons. It's absolute nightmare. So the city of Cleveland gets sued and they end up losing more money than they made from the fundraiser. <laughs> but they're doing it just to get a Guinness World Record. Guinness published it that year and quickly pulled that record from shelves because it was so dangerous. They didn't want to encourage anybody to do it again. Because it got sued by that one cat you mentioned earlier. <laughs> oh gosh, Jonathan Lee Richards, why I oughta. That, that is what fascinates me this oh, week is, is world incredible. records. That's incredible. I forgot about the balloon story. What a That's so good. <laughs> hey, I appreciate you so much. Appreciate you. You know, through through technical difficulties, through everything, we we figure it out, and it's it's great. I, I think I would we, like to think so. I, I hope one day we end up getting a Guinness World Record for for something. I but, don't want to pay them to come up with a record for me, right? And I want it to be of our you know, own choosing. Yeah, <laughs> not because like this guy fell out accidentally fell out of an airplane and <laughs> broke the most bones in history yes, yeah. and survived. Uh, yeah, loneliest man award goes to Evan Atkinson <laughs> at the end of his life. He looked around and saw no one <laughs> except for a, an adjudicator. Yeah, who was, was there to be like, <laughs> what's that story you told me? Like the you're the last person on earth, and then you hear a knock at the door. Yeah, the 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 shortest scary story. Yeah, <gasps> that would do it. And it's it's just again this guy being like, wow, <laughs> longest time in isolation. I'm here to authenticate this. It's Bockers. Well, y'all, thank you for listening to yet another episode of Fascinators, episode eight. Are we on eight now? I believe so. Uh, we're we are so close to beating the Fast and Furious record. Thrillingly, get ready. Yes, for that. That's the world record we need to break. Is more podcast episodes than there are Fast and Furious. I mean, movies. We can work on that. 
Absolutely. But as always, if you have something that fascinates you that you would like us to talk about, you can email us at fascinatorspod at gmail.com. And for everything else, I don't know, Dad, what do we what do we always say? Well, this is something I always tell myself after this, but uh, <laughs> don't be sad because it's over. Be glad that it happened. Absolutely. We, we will catch you on another episode of Fascinators that we are so glad happened. But yeah, we'll see you next week. Ta-ta. Ta-ta.